And welcome back into the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. How are you doing this morning, Brett? I'm doing good, man. What's going on? Not much, man. Just uh, hitting the grind, trying to get back to a normal routine. Have you have you hit the normal point yet, or are you still adjusting? Uh, I mean, this this feels normal at this point. This has been happening for so long that this feels normal. Um, so I'm not out of my element anymore. I just, uh, I don't know. I guess I, this feels normal is the way to, to put it. Like, I know it's not normal and it will stop being normal in the near future, but, uh, it's normal right now. So I can, I can roll with it. I hear you. So we've got a lot to talk about. Um, lot's well, been yeah. happening since the last time we made a, a podcast. You know, it's weird. You don't, uh, you don't necessarily expect news heavy uh, podcast in times like these, but here we are. So um, we'll, we'll go at these in order of importance, or at least our import, our um, projected order of importance, and people can disagree if they want. But when it comes to sports coming back as we expect, as we wish they would, or as we are used to them looking, the biggest news that's happened since we last recorded a podcast was both the NCAA and the SEC allowing student-athletes to come back to campus for voluntary workouts. By the NCAA's decree starting June 1st, by the SEC um, by the SEC measure starting June 8th. Um, some campuses like Texas A&M seem to, be, seem to be set on bringing all student-athletes back on June 8th. Alabama, as Cecil reported from a conversation with uh, Greg Byrne, Alabama's doing kind of a staggered return of, of athletes. They're bringing football players back first, then men's and women's basketball next. And then uh, the order after that hasn't really been publicly set or, or um, defined by Greg Byrne, I guess I should say. But the, the reason for that is they don't want to overwhelm the medical staff and, uh, and everything else and the facility cleaning and, and all that. So there Alabama's doing a staggered return, but football players are projected to be back on campus on June 8th. So as Cecil called it, uh, before it happened, it was, it is the first step of many steps to getting back to athletics as currently scheduled. And that's a, I thought that was a, a great way to put it because you can't have athletes, performing in a sport if they aren't physically conditioned to perform that sport and and this allows athletes to do that and do that on campus with the strength and conditioning coaches that are hired to put them in that position yeah that's actually a really good point and you know for you when you heard this news did it i guess how would i put this not that you're saying oh i, I guarantee you everything's gonna be back to normal but are you starting to become a lot more confident that we're going to see college football in a lot more of a normal routine, not necessarily from a fan base uh, perspective, but maybe from a, a start date? Are you a lot more confident in that now than you were maybe a week, a week and a half ago? Um, a little. I, my confidence really changed when, when Greg Sankey made it perfectly clear that the SEC could play football if – some or all of the other Power Five conferences don't. When, when he kind of shot that warning shot out there, that's when my confidence changed. That's when I was like, okay, 
the SEC is going to play football by God. That's, that's going to happen, period. Um, that's when my confidence changed. So ever since that, ever since that was said, I've kind of, I've, I've thought that we're going to get football at some point in the fall, maybe not with fans in attendance, maybe not on September 5th or, or whatever the date is for the USC game, but there will be football in the fall at some point. That's been my opinion, barring a, a particularly hellacious second wave of the, of the coronavirus. But this does help because I, I think I said it back when we were talking about spring practice being canceled. My thing is there's there's being in condition to play the game and then there's being in condition to survive the game. And what, what I mean by that is that at the time, I wasn't really fretting about the significance of spring football because I thought what was more important was getting workouts in over the summer so that athletes are in physical condition to practice. And it's the preseason practice, it's the preseason camp in August that gets you ready to survive a 12, 13, 14, 15 game season of that amount of contact. That's that's my opinion. So I wasn't really fretting about spring practice being canceled. I just wanted to make sure that we could get some sort of summer workout in so they can be ready to start preseason practice, so they can be ready to start the season. Like all of those things have to happen. Spring practice doesn't have to happen. But they have to have some kind of workout time to get their bodies ready to practice a preseason practice regimen so they can play the season. So my confidence never my confidence was increased before this. But as again, as Cecil put it, this is the first step of many steps. But it's the first one like this had to happen before anything else could happen. You couldn't just bring athletes back on campus and middle in mid-September and start preseason camp right away. That wasn't feasible. Right. And and I'm right there with you. And to me, um, you know, and Nick Saban's actually talked about this, but the, the main people who benefit from things like spring practice are the younger guys, whether that be first-year st- uh, players and true freshmen, whether that be first-year starters, guys who are trying to kind of take that next step into maybe a starting role or a much bigger role, that's where this play comes into effect as far as them losing the spring. We'll see probably a lot of guys who might have been, you know, game one starters, not necessarily a lot, but at least maybe a couple, who might not end up earning the starting job until, you know, a month into the season, four or five games, things like that, simply because they didn't have that spring practice to try to take that next step. And the coaching staff get a really good idea of where the battles are at. Um, you know, you start that in the spring, you kind of start getting an idea of who's actually involved in certain competitions and then fall, you more so focus in on those couple of guys who are, you think are your lead guys and you let them battle it out and you determine a starter. But right now you might have a lot more of leaning on experience rather than having some first year players uh, out the gate kind of contributing, which is totally fine. Uh, everybody's going to be dealing with that. This is not just, an Alabama thing. This is an everybody thing. And the good part about it is, is Alabama got so much depth and rotation along their defensive line. And, you know, they're getting guys back and inside linebacker. Some of their key positions from last year, they, you know, kind of already had their set rotation in place outside of trying to figure out, okay, who's going to be rotating in in certain spots. Uh, so for them, that's good. Now edge rusher and corner, um, you know, safety a little bit. 
yeah, that's another area where guys are going to be battling it out. And you might see some guys who end up getting starts in week one who don't end up being the starter a couple of weeks in. But that's um, kind of to be expected. Uh, but I certainly think, you know, for me, everybody kept saying, if you want college football to start on time, you had to get these guys in by early June. And when I heard the news that they're pushing for, you know, there were a lot of athletic directors who were wanting a June 1st. There were some that were wanting uh, you know, June 15th or maybe a little bit later than that. They came to the agreement for June 8th. That's early June. Um, and, and so now you start working because, you know, the spring is not about getting guys in shape. Uh, they've got plenty of time before the season to actually make that happen. It's more so about figuring out where certain guys are on the depth chart and teaching the young players uh, kind of what's to be expected and letting them go ahead and get their feet wet. Um, you know, becoming college football players for the early enrollees and things like that. So, yeah, yeah I was pleasantly surprised uh, that June 8th ended up being the date because that's right along that timeline. And I'm not saying college football is definitely going to start on time, but I think they're kind of, even if some people might not agree with it, from all indications, they're wanting to do this as safely as possible, but they're pushing, in my opinion, and this is purely speculation, but I think they're really wanting it to start on time. And this was a very necessary step in order to make that happen. No, I agree. Uh, it's, it's like I said, you, this had to happen for preseason practice to happen on time. Like th- these, these athletes need these physical conditioning training sessions, particularly specifically or preferably with the strength and conditioning staffs in their presence, directing them, guiding them and, and all that. Uh, their support systems intact and nutrition and, and all that stuff. They needed June and July. They needed to have that in June and July so they could practice in August so they can play in September. Like that is the timeline that has to happen. And this this pandemic will force us to prove or believe that you can survive without spring football practice because we were forced to and we're going to have to no matter what. So if we can get athletes back on campus and have them safely work out and condition their bodies over June and July. Maybe we can safely practice the sport in August and safely play the sport in September. That's obviously the most optimistic timeline. There are a lot more pessimistic timelines out there, but who, who really gains from, from running through those, right? Nobody, nobody gains anything from, from running through those. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll just, Take this as a sign of the most positive timeline possible, which it is, and react if the the virus has a nasty second wave come up and and there has to be something done to impact the the schedule of the college football season as it as it currently stands. My my last thing on on this subject on a non football subject, and this is just a hope, I guess, would be. The, the thing I hope that in Alabama's staggered return to uh, athletes on campus, which to be clear, I, I'm totally in favor, favor of, like it's, it's a smart thinking from Greg Byrne and, and everyone on, on his staff and Alabama's athletic department. It's a good idea. Um, uh, agree with it entirely. Whatever their hierarchy is or whatever their timeline is, I would hope that soccer and volleyball are near the top of the list after the basketball players come back to campus, just because those seasons start in August, like those soccer and volleyball tend to start their seasons 
a week before football season starts like that that tends to be how it works and those those schedules haven't been released yet so I don't know what the exact opening day for volleyball and and women's soccer are this year in the SEC but I would hope that those athletes get on campus relatively quickly because they are I think football women's soccer volleyball cross country and a little bit of rowing are the only competitive fall sports on campus at Alabama. So those are the athletes that need to be on campus as early as possible. And I I specified women's soccer and volleyball over rowing because rowing also has a competitive season in the spring. So honestly, I don't really know how the rowing calendar works. I I should probably take the rowing sport out of of my mouth right now because I don't know how their competitive calendar works. But I do know that soccer and volleyball have competitive seasons in the fall and I would hope that those athletes are brought on campus if safe and if possible by end of June or first of July so those seasons can continue as they're currently scheduled if that's allowed just the hope that I have yeah that's actually a really fair point and it's something that I didn't think about uh you know with college football and you know as much money and revenue as it brings in for schools um yeah it, there's going to be a certain and that goes for men's basketball too i mean it's uh and men and women's basketball those are kind of distant seconds i mean obviously when you talk about the revenue stream for college football compared to pretty much any other sport it's you know a pretty significant gap but i guarantee you you know um there are some of these other sports that i really hope don't get neglected as far as hey we have to make sure college football you know starts on time and is as normal as possible for these revenue streams to make sure that they still happen but this other stuff we're not going to put as much emphasis on i hope it's more universal and if they they ended up doing it that way i would i could understand it because um you know at the end of the day the reason they're pushing so hard for college football to happen is because they can't afford for it not to happen for some of these other sports it would be detrimental to those particular programs but maybe as much as the impact for the NCAA as a whole and the universities as a whole, it probably wouldn't have nearly as significant of an impact, but that does not mean that we need to neglect these sports. So hopefully they continue to get pushed and and can happen on time too. I mean, obviously if you're letting certain people back on campus to work out and kind of keep things on schedule as much as possible, you could go ahead and do that for a couple other sports too. And, and, you know, they're going to be taking precautions and it'll be tough. Uh, that's just that m- many more tests that you have to be doing pretty regular regularly. Um, I don't know how many people are on the rowing team. Um, I-, I would venture to guess like it's a, a li- say what like a thousand. Rowing is a huge sport. It's insane. Is wait, is it really? No, I mean obviously a thousand is uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's, it's, pretty it's huge. Like I'll, I'll pull up the the rowing roster right now rowing is a huge sport roster wise well that's that just shows how limited i know about rowing because if you had asked me i would have said probably 10 um plus Uh, coaches and staff oh let's see um the most recent alabama rowing roster your guess would have been 10 you said yeah hold on (laughs) am i way off on my computer screen right now the rowing team had 17 seniors. Oh, wow. Um, and as you can imagine, there are more underclassmen than seniors on, on the roster because that's just how it works. So freshmen and sophomores, yeah, there's there's a lot. So there's probably a, closer to 80, uh, 75, 80. 
there's a lot of there's a lot of girls on the rowing team. Yes. Wow. Okay. So that's okay. You learned well, something. Good. Yeah, and and that's just that, that you're talking about. You know, seventy five. You know, or anywhere from seventy to eighty tests multiple times a week to make just that sport happen. Um, that's that's it starts racking up a little bit. But hopefully they can make that happen. And I know that one of the big things that Dr. Fauci have been talking about is we're not there right now. Like if the seasons were to start today, we'd probably be in big trouble. But by the time college football starts rolling around, as far as you start pushing travel and things into the mix, they think that they're going to have, you know, the ability to test millions upon millions of people. And that fits right into making sure that all of these college athletes are properly tested um, getting them back on campus, one thing, you know, people have I've seen people point to how dangerous that is, but there's also been people that have pointed to um, how much safer it actually is for these student athletes to be back on campus because they'll have access to medical staffs that they wouldn't have had access to at home. They would have access to a lot of these testing. You know, if you're sitting at your house, they're not going to be able to test you to the same degree as if you're on campus. You can get multiple tests a week. Make sure you stay uh, healthy and safe. And they're going to be taking every single precaution and having the ability to monitor it. You know, you're talking about Nick Saban and the coaching staff. If you don't think they're not going to have at least, you know, to some degree, their thumb on a lot of these players, making sure that they're taking all the precautions they need to in order to carry out and finish a football season, that's absolutely going to happen. Uh, The only thing that I worry about right now, and it's something that I don't think people have really taken into account, when you start getting all these athletes back on campus – I guarantee you, because there are so many who have it that don't show symptoms, you're going to have quite a few people who immediately show up expecting to be able to work out and stuff. And and hopefully, you know, it doesn't really matter if they're a big name player or not. But I guess if you're talking about uh, a guy like Najee Harris showing up and having it, that would be a much bigger deal than, you know, a walk on showing up and having it. Um, You know, speaking candidly, not trying to take a shot at anybody. I'm just, you know, speaking the truth. But you're going to have people who show up who have had it. Uh, and didn't even know that they had it, and you're going to have to send those guys home or do something with those guys, we need to be ready for that kind of scare because you'll start getting some breaking news of, you know, ex-college football player has it, you know, uh, star, you know, who knows, Trevor Lawrence has COVID-19, gets tested. What does that mean? And and that might scare some people off of this idea that college football will happen, but that's that, that was to be, I mean, I would have at least expected it. I don't know about you. No, I, I think you're right, and uh, here in Alabama, I think we're at a particular risk for that because we're, we're recording this on Tuesday morning of the 26th, and Monday night, the mayor of Tuscaloosa, Walt Maddox, tweeted that Tuscaloosa County saw a 10.4% increase on Monday in the number of new coronavirus cases. The county went from 505 to 558, which is their largest single-day increase. So as Alabama has started, as the state of Alabama, I should clarify, as the state of Alabama has started to open things up and allow people to travel more freely and go to businesses more frequently and, and all of that, there is there was going to be an increase in cases, of course. Uh, that was just bound to happen. Um, what Whether it meets or exceeds their expectations, I'm not privy to that information, but As that increase of cases is happening, starting June 8th, we're going to be bringing a bunch of people in from a bunch of different places, like Najee Harris coming from California and Jalen Waddell coming from Texas and 
Christian Barmore coming up from from Pennsylvania and, and, and everything else. So you're right. I, I do think it seems inevitable that there are going to be some athletes that had the virus and don't know it and have to be quarantined or or whatever it is. And as those things come out, we just have to maintain a certain calm about it and understand that as long as we're doing everything right, it's not going to grow to a point where we had to re-shut things down again. But the general public is not necessarily doing everything right. There's a lot of people out there that aren't wearing masks in place where they should be wearing masks. There are a lot of people out there that aren't practicing social distancing. I think we've all seen pictures of, of beaches and real ones, not fake pictures, but like real pictures of beaches that are far too crowded for what they're so, supposed to be. So, um, uh, just have to cross that bridge when we when we come to it, I suppose. But I think you bring up a good point. Like it, it seems inevitable that multiple athletes are going to test positive for the coronavirus, whether that's at Alabama in the SEC or elsewhere. Who knows? But it's it's dependent on the schools to handle those things the right way so that they can go about their business as they would have without a pandemic. And as you mentioned earlier, football is a huge cash cow. They are incredibly incredibly motivated to do everything they can to play football as it's currently scheduled so they'll uh they'll do what it takes so getting them on on campus under the supervision of their schools and the powers that be and the the framework on campus is probably a good thing for them just because there's a lot more people who are paid and dedicated to doing these things correctly whereas their parents or their guardians or their family support systems back home have jobs and and other thing else to to account for uh that was the good side of covid that we're bringing athletes back to campus the bad side of covid is that it hit the bryant denny stadium renovation site cecil once again reporting uh when that happened that there was an undisclosed number of cases of covid19 at the construction site for bryant denny stadium it paused work over a weekend but work resumed of that the monday after that weekend both the construction company and the university have released statements on the on the subject you can go to the the story on tiesports.com for for more on that when when cecil called me and told me this is in the works this reporting's coming be ready all that it seemed kind of inevitable, didn't it? It seemed kind of inevitable that this would happen. Like just thinking about how construction sites operate and how you have to work together and all the kinds of work you have to be doing to put up a massive construction project on this kind of timeline. This seemed kind of inevitable, didn't it? Yeah. And I mean, I don't blame the, I, I understand that people are frustrated somewhat with uh, the construction company and, you know, the University of Alabama, I think it was Cadell Construction, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Um, I, I understand people are frustrated with them for kind of pushing through. Uh, but at the same time, I also understand it from the other side where, you know, it, it, it's one of those things we're going back. Everybody else is going back to work now, knowing that this is still out there and that you're still at risk. Um, and, and these kind of breakouts, you know, at least in certain places. I mean, Great Clips is another one where there's been uh, somewhat of a breakout or a couple of hairdressers or whatever have exposed a lot of people uh, who ended up having it. And, and that was personally irresponsible of them for showing symptoms and not doing anything about it. But we're trying to get back to a normalcy uh, 
that we haven't had in the last few months and try to get the economy back on track and whether, you know, people are going to stand on different sides of the aisle of this. And I completely understand that, but you know, this is something that everybody now is trying to do outside of a, a select few States is get back to this and Alabama, because they are trying to push, you know, the, 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 I think we all know they're trying to get the season to start on time and keep this timeline thing going forward they went ahead and was kind of pushing through and you know it yeah it, this is an unfortunate situation but it, at least to me it was not unexpected at all no and, and this is not the first time that construction site has had some setbacks they had two workers injured by a falling beam and in, in december but uh, despite all of that the the school says that everything remains on schedule with the brian denny stadium renovations so if Alabama is able to play their uh, first home game of the 2020 season on schedule, which would be September 12th against Georgia State. Uh, we have no reason to believe that the construction that is supposed to be done won't be done by that time. But just uh, another headline that has come from, as we mentioned off the top, a surprisingly news-laden stretch for for Alabama football. Before we go to the break and, and hit on some other uh, news things on the other side. Uh, again, we're recording this Tuesday morning. It is 10:59 a.m. as I speak right now. Iowa State has more or less softly committed to playing home games at half capacity in the fall. So, okay, the, that's news. Yeah, like, I, I won't. I won't say that they've like full on committed to it. Like I'm trying to. I'm getting this from uh from NBC. Uh, let's see. The Iowa State AD, Jamie Pollard, say they anticipate playing football in the fall. But, okay, this is a quote from the NBC story. Pollard revealed that Iowa State home football games would be played at about of the at about, well, there's a word missing, unfortunate, at about half of the capacity of Jack Trice Stadium. The home of the Cyclones officially holds 61,500. Per Pollard, the university is, quote, planning as though the capacity of our stadium would be limited to 30,000 spectators. And there's a lot more information about how they'll handle season ticket holders uh, in that capacity limit and everything else. So, again, the story's on uh, NBC's College Football Talk if you want to check it out. But it, interesting that a, a Power 5 program is already out there more or less committing to playing under under attendance restrictions in the in the fall so that's something to to monitor and i will say i mean do you think this really affects miami that's an actually a really interesting question miami always plays at half capacity so everything's fine uh (laughs) see i was taking it a lot more serious but you're actually a lot i've actually heard that joke with the chargers and with miami (laughs) Uh, I guess it's the same thing, but you know the Chargers shouldn't see any sort of difference between uh, what they're used to. In fact, if they can even fill up half the stadium, they'll be doing pretty good. Same for Miami. <laughs> so, uh, uh, right, well, jokes aside, when we come back from the break, we've got some more uh, Alabama football news and notes to hit. You're listening to the Bama Beat podcast, where we sometimes make fun of Miami's football attendance for no good reason. And we're back on the Bama Beat podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious pickles, relishes, okras, and much more. Go to wicklespickles.com to learn more about their products. True story, I was in the grocery store for something else. Like we already had our jar of Wickles 
in the fridge, but I had to go on that aisle for something else. And I witnessed a woman pull a jar of Wickles relish off of the shelf. And I was like, oh, I wish I had video of that. It would be so good. But, uh, you know, it's hard to take video of a woman shopping in a grocery store without probably getting arrested. Yeah, I would say that was a good call. It was if if people could have understood the context, you would have been completely fine. But it was just a matter of how creepy you would have looked um with people not knowing the context so good call yeah, not that, doing probably that wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have gone well for me uh but if, if you remember uh followers of mine on twitter if you'll remember earlier this month when i randomly tweeted a picture of of wickles jars on the grocery shelf um uh, that was it the there if you look at that picture there's one on the left that is missing the, i took the picture Shortly after, a woman just pulled a jar of, of Wickles relish off the shelf. So, uh, it's it's guys, it's literally flying off the shelves. So, go to WicklesPickles.com to get your jar. Wickles Pickles, let's get wicked. More recent news on the Alabama front. Again, reporting by Cecil. It's almost as if Cecil's really good at this. Alabama set a home-and-home football series with Arizona for for the future and this is uh nothing new by any stretch of the imagination alabama's been doing uh been setting home and homes with uh power five teams well in advance for for a long time now and this is the most recent installment of of that trend they are set up to play arizona in 2032 and 2033 they will play arizona at home in 2032 and on the road in 2033. And what this do, and what's interesting about this is that is the same years that Alabama has a home and home already scheduled with Oklahoma. So in 2032, they will play Arizona at home and go to Norman to face uh, the Sooners. And in 2033, Oklahoma comes to Tuscaloosa while Alabama goes to Arizona. So. That what's interesting in that is in four of the next 15 seasons, Alabama has two Power Five non-conference games on the schedule. So assuming the SEC stays with its eight-game scheduling model, Alabama will have 10 Power Five games barring a, a cancellation in four of the next 15 years. There's 2032 and 2033, as we mentioned, thanks to this Arizona series. There's also much closer to, to now, 2025, Alabama will host Wisconsin and go to Florida State. And in 2026, they will host Florida State and go to West Virginia. So that kind of, that Florida State series kind of splits the end of the Wisconsin series and the beginning of the West Virginia series. So I just, I, I just find that interesting in a, in a bunch of different ways. And I can, I can roll through them, but what do you, what did you think when you saw that? You know what? I like where they're heading. And Nick Saban has talked about how he wanted to, um, you know, kind of make it get some of these smaller games off of the schedule uh, to make it a lot more competitive. Because, I mean, those games are normally at 11 a.m. Typically, at least one or two of them are played early in the season where it's really hot. Trying to get some fans, especially students who have probably been out drinking all night the night before on a Friday night, trying to get them to show up for a, for an 11 a.m. Hey, game. Whoa, whoa, are you saying college students drink? Uh, you know, a, a couple of them. Most of them that are there 
um, are just there to go to class and you know try to get right. at the, as good a grades as possible. There are a select few. And those select they, they, they would never they would never insult the good name of the capstone by by taking in adult beverages when they should be studying. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, if a dry campus would make it to where the stadium was filled on college football Saturdays and people didn't leave, you best believe Nick Saban would be willing to entertain that idea. But <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, uh no, it, it, granted when you're talking about getting bigger teams on the schedule for the future, I think it's great. You know, I kind of, I understand it from a, you know, from the perspective of sometimes, you know, when you've got a really big opponent like an Auburn or an LSU, you have that bye week at a certain point, but then you also kind of would like to have more than just a week to prepare for somebody. Uh, that's always nice. And, and it's not that Nick Saban and them are kind of looking past these smaller teams, he likes to take every team seriously. But if you don't think they don't have a few analysts going ahead and scouting ahead to you know the 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 much bigger opponent, that certainly is going to happen. Right. Um, but for the fan perspective, it's like you know it's it's a throwaway game. You know it's one you know if you want to, you can show up with your family, bring your kids that don't usually get to go to Bama games because tickets are cheap. A lot of people are giving away tickets so you can get free ones. Um, but just the conditions as far as when this, the games are played. Um, but this will also mean that some better games, if everybody starts doing this, get pushed earlier into the day. You know, you won't have Alabama and New Mexico State starting at 11. You might have Alabama and, uh, you know, Virginia or something, you know, whatever it ends up being starting at 11 because there's, you know, if everybody's playing much better quality opponents, then someone's got to play at 11, right? So it's still going to happen. But I, I was I was glad to see that they were moving towards this, and I know that that will make a lot of fans happy because it shouldn't. It just means one more football game on the schedule that means something. Right, and it's a cool road trip for people that are in a position to do that, or for Alabama fans that live on the West Coast. If you happen to live in Phoenix or LA or Vegas or, or somewhere out there, it's the the tide's coming to you. Congratulations! Now you got to wait. Another 13 years for it to happen, but hey, they're they're coming. Just give give them time. Um, who's the who's the head coach in 2033, 2032? In Alabama or Arizona? Oh, I mean, you, you know what? Pick you pick dealer's choice. Um, I'm the head coach at Arizona in 2033. Okay, all right. You are you kind of like that? Uh, man, I'm forget. I'm just drew a blank on his name. The guy who just became the head coach at Tennessee. Um, the barstool well, guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't paid close attention to that, but I've seen people uh, bugging out about Air Dugs. Yeah, Air Dugs. That's what. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I plan on being the head coach at Arizona in 2033, having already won the 2032 national championship. Okay. And do we have kind of a, you know, is, is have we figured out how to extend the life of? lives of people with stem cell research and things like that enough where Nick Saban's still around in 2033. I, I assume Nick Saban's going to be running the Boston marathon while coaching the 2033 team. Yeah, that's where we're going to be at. Bama fans are putting in a lot of time, energy, and money into figuring out how to get Saban, keep Saban around for as long as possible. So I wouldn't put past motivated people what they could get done. University of Alabama head football coach Mark Ingram. Interesting. So now you're getting out there. So okay, Ingram. So uh, 
you don't think the the Jeremy Pruitt thing is happening? You think he's going to stick around at Tennessee? I don't know, man. Don't I'm trying to I'm trying to press you for stuff that when it should when it comes to be 2033, I'm going to bring this up well over a decade later. I'm going to say just look how wrong Brett was. He was way off in a in a prediction that was 13 years in the making, 12 or 13 years. I keep saying 2033. I think it starts in 2032, but yeah, I'm going to hold you to whatever you say right now because I know you're going to try to get out of this uh, North Dakota State Oregon uh, thing nope, that we're talking I, about. And I see about that. Look, you know, I got to be honest with you. I went and watched Trey Lance, uh, the North Dakota State quarterback. I'm scared, man. I'm really scared. I, 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 that kid is phenomenal. And you're disrespecting the Bison. How dared you? I just, I did. Disrespectful. Back when we had this conversation, I wasn't paying enough attention to North Dakota State. Now, granted, um, I don't think anybody knew Trey Lance was going to be doing what he did, but he's one of the best. He might be the best quarterback, regardless of division um, or FBS, FCS in the country. And Oregon's still trying to figure out their QB situation. They got the Boston College transfer, who's probably going to be their starter. Um, I don't know what to see, but. I don't know. I don't feel nearly as good about it right now as I did when we first had this discussion. I'll tell you that. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to cashing that bet. I, I tell you what. Anyway, <laughs> so speaking speaking of new quarterbacks and new situations, what about uh, Leah? There we go. Good good job. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll end with that professional segue. Um, Talia Tungavaloa is headed to Maryland to play for Mike Loxley. Um, I, honestly, I don't, I'm not sure I have much to add on this one. It, it made, it made sense given the very obvious tie between Mike Loxley and Talia and the Tungvaloa family from his very successful tenure as Alabama's offensive coordinator makes a lot of sense. Uh, the, the only thing that really intrigues me is if Talia will even attempt to get a waiver through the NCAA to be eligible in 2020, or if he's just going to take that as the redshirt year and give it a go starting in, in 2021, uh, I would imagine that waiver would be somewhat difficult to come by outside of the the pandemic. Like maybe the, the NCAA has changed something with its transfer bylaws due to the pandemic, just for a, a short temporary period of time that makes it easier for Talia to gain immediate eligibility for, for 2020. Um, but in terms of fit and location, everything else, it, it just made, it made sense. I hope it works out for him. The, the only thing that interests me is if they attempt to get a waiver for 2020 eligibility. My guess would be no. Um, I could be completely off on that, but I agree with you. They have uh, Josh Jackson, the former uh, Virginia Tech transfer, already on campus. Granted, he's nothing to write home about. So if Leah could somehow get a waiver, then I would fully expect him to compete for the starting job. Um, but as far as the fit and stuff, you know, he might not be the guy in 2020 through, you know, having to sit out, or maybe they just decide to go with Josh Jackson. They've had a couple of quarterbacks transfer out uh, already through the the transfer portal but i do like what leah might have as far as weapons go that uh that dante demas jr is he's only a junior this year and he had a pretty productive uh, sophomore season last year 41 receptions 625 yards and six touchdowns big body guy 6'3 200 pounds he's only a junior so it's it's very possible that he could be back following 
this upcoming season, which means he could be potentially a number one option uh, for Lee. And then you also got Rakeem Jarrett, the former five-star guy who ended up picking Maryland over uh, LSU and Alabama. That's a guy who's going to be going into probably his sophomore season, maybe his redshirt freshman season. I highly doubt it. He's probably going to be an immediate impact player for Maryland. And so they might have a couple of really good receivers for him to throw to. They have Josh Jacobs' little brother, Isaiah Jacobs, who committed. And, you know, he was a three-star guy coming out of high school as well. Didn't have a ton of attention uh, from a lot of major programs. Uh, But Maryland certainly got him, and maybe he could be, you know, do similar things to what his brother did, which was be a three-star prospect and kind of set college football on fire. And if that happens, they got themselves a nice change of pace running back, back there uh, next to or behind Leah. I think he's got pretty, you know, a pretty good chance for success there in Maryland. Because when you think about Tua's best season at Alabama, now granted, you can make the argument last season was going to be his best season before he got injured, mm-hmm. the multiple injuries, but his best season came under Mike Loxley. So maybe his brother can replicate that and have some success. I did find it interesting. Uh, we had talked a little bit on the podcast uh, about Maryland being a possibility, but we more so thought that he would maybe try to get down there somewhere towards Miami. Uh, but ultimately, it was more so about, I think, getting out from underneath to a shadow and the fact that, you know, his, his dad came out and said that he weren't, wasn't exactly thrilled. Uh, he wasn't, you know, I guess too upset. But when Tua went down with an injury, he had hoped to get a, a much better shot at taking over for his brother. And instead, it was more so pass the torch to Mac Jones. There wasn't much of a competition or anything like that. And he became the backup and ended up having to burn a red shirt as a result. But. You know, there's no bad blood, at least on the surface there's not. I wouldn't expect there to be any underneath the surface either. But, yeah, I think that this was a, a good fit for him. And I know that there are going to be a lot of Alabama fans just through what, you know, Leah during his time in Alabama is one season, but more so his brother and what that family have kind of meant to the university. They're going to be keeping up with Maryland football, not only because of Mike Loxley, but because of, of uh, Leah now too. So that was great to see. No, I I agree. Um, I mean, Maryland will clearly have quarterback needs in the somewhat immediately immediate future, especially after 2020. And Talia could could fit that mold. It's it's unfortunate that Alabama and Maryland don't have a series in the future. Yeah, that would be quite interesting. And I mean, you know, Maryland started off really well last year. The first couple weeks, uh, yeah. I think. Was it Syracuse? That was like a top twenty-five team that they absolutely railroaded. Yes. I remember. I think we watched it together in the press box last year, um, and we thought, you know, this team was legit, and then they kind of fell apart from there. But you know, Mike Loxley at least started to show that he's got Maryland heading in the right direction, and they're winning some pretty key uh, recruiting battles out there. You know, when you talk about adding a five-star like Raheem Jarrett, um, you know, the the first five-star they've gotten since Stephon Diggs went there several years ago. I mean, that's that's big news for them, and. So hopefully he's able to keep that going, and, and Lee is a big part of that. So we're definitely pulling for him. Got anything else? I think we've we've hit most of the the big news that happened. No, I think I think we're good. Uh, this has been a nice yeah, podcast, kinda... recruiting, which we're going to get to recruiting in our podcast later this week. Um, but I, I think we've just about hit everything. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that's yeah, because I, I I think we've covered a lot. Hopefully, we've given the people what they want. We'll start getting back to more, like you said, we'll get to some recruiting coverage. I think you and Cecil and Hunter, who are all down there in Tuscaloosa, you're going to try to check out uh, a local bar there in Tuscaloosa and do a podcast from there live. That'll be fun. And then uh, we'll continue to work our way through the offseason and hopefully be bringing you guys some more breaking news regarding the Crimson Tide and 
hopefully that's good news. We'll see. Uh, I will say my last word, I want to go back to the, the Arizona thing and the offshoot of doing 10 P five games in, in a season. I think it can say multiple things about what Alabama believes the future of college football is. It could mean that they are confident that the eight game scheduling model is going to stay with the SEC and that the playoff is going to expand. Thus, the current risk reward of playing two non-con games in the P5, where it's currently too risky to do so because the reward is so little for going beyond one, right? Like as long as you have one decent one and you win your conference, you're in most of the time. Currently, the risk reward of playing two P5s in one season is not there. But in the future, maybe it is if they expand the playoff, right? So maybe Alabama's thinking that. Maybe they think the whole P5 autonomy thing is going to take an extra step and they'll fully break away from the G5. So they're getting a head start on filling their schedule with P5 teams by doing that for later in the, in the timeline doesn't necessarily help them for 24 and 25, but it might for 32 and 33 when that Arizona and Oklahoma series are scheduled. It it could mean one of those things. It could just be, they want to do the 10 P5 game model, no matter what that would certainly fall in line with, uh, with what Nick Saban has, has said on, on his own scheduling thoughts and, and policies, if he had his way, there's a lot that it mean that it could mean, and it's just going to be interesting to keep those things in the back of your head when the college football playoff comes up for renegotiation again with the TV deals, like when those things come up and they're starting to renegotiate and, do they expand to eight? Do they expand to six? What do they do? Keeping those series in the back of your mind is, is going to be interesting from an Alabama perspective because, say, we get a 18 playoff starting in <clears throat> 2030 or, or something. Say that happens. This would probably benefit Alabama that they already have those 10 P5 games on the schedule for 2032 and 2033. Because in an eight-team model, you're likely to get more wild cards in. So if you can put up a good strength of schedule and go 11-1 and against it, that's probably a feather in your cap, right? It's just something to monitor for years down the road when the playoff picture eventually changes or P5 and G5 split or the SEC changes its scheduling model, whatever the case may be. Yeah, and and just one more thing to add to that, I mean – the things that Nick Saban has talked about, true or untrue, um, I've seen people, you know, argue for both. But him talking about people really kind of having Alabama having trouble kind of scheduling people. Obviously, teams are a lot more confident when you're putting the date 13 years in advance. You know, more than likely, Alabama's, uh, you know, run as far as their dynasty and things like that it's a lot more likely that it's over then than it is now. So you would much rather play them, but they still will have the reputation as being that major big name program who was the face of college football for well over a decade under Nick Saban. So that'd be good to have those guys on your schedule, regardless if maybe they're not as good as they were back during this time period and a little bit before this time period. But you also have a much greater chance at beating a team like Alabama more than likely in 2033 or 2032 
So that's another thing that's kind of probably in the minds of some of these schools. They're probably a lot more willing to go ahead and schedule Alabama uh, that far in advance in comparison to to a, a few of these teams who have you know scheduled Alabama for 24 and 25. Uh, it, it's not just a matter of oh everybody's scared to play Alabama. It's just logistically you know if you're Arizona, would you want to play Alabama right now? Probably not because you're I mean it, it's not going to probably bode well for you, um, but who knows you know where where the program might be at here in several years well over a decade um and that might change the thought process but i I do agree with you that it also you know when some of these teams if if the college football playoff ends up getting expanded then there are going to be a lot more teams who are willing to do this and alabama's trying to go ahead and lock up their schedule where they're not really left scrambling trying to add uh, more impressive uh, teams to their resume because they've kind of already got them locked up. And is Arizona just a world beater? No, but it's a Division One Power Five program, uh, and so that's at least something to hang your hat on compared to playing one of these smaller schools. So I think it was smart by Alabama to go ahead and lock this kind of thing up. And it gives fans that have the means an opportunity to go somewhere that they have not been in decades and probably would never go. Otherwise, I mean, just look at the not including the two neutral site games coming up, which are in Dallas against USC this season and in Atlanta against Miami in 2021. That's that's really the end of the current neutral site model. Then it goes home and home from there. Here's here are the schools that Alabama currently has on schedule game places where they will play a road game sometime between 2022 and 2035. Texas, Wisconsin, Florida State, West Virginia, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, Oklahoma, Arizona, Virginia Tech. They're a bunch of really cool environments, really cool places that Alabama fans most likely would never go in in any other circumstance that they are going to go to or at least have a chance or a reason to go to in in this circumstance. So that's that's cool. We can we can spread the college football love a little bit around the around the country and and let people uh, get exposure to other ways of, of doing this weird thing we call college football. It's a great point. All right, that's going to do it for yet another episode of the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles. Brett, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, brother. This has been fun. We need to do it again soon. Talk a little Alabama recruiting. Talking recruiting later in the week. See y'all then.